Today is a very exciting day on the podcast because we have our very first podcast sponsor. Yay! The Calgary International Film Festival is happening here in Calgary on September 19th to September 30th. There is going to be films from across the country and really across the world. They're going to have amazing films from amazing filmmakers, including our guest today. Okay, so we're here with Jillian McKercher. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. So you have so you have an actually a very interesting path because by career title, your LinkedIn title, I guess, would be you're a filmmaker now, but that's not what you went to school for. No, and I just recently changed my LinkedIn. Before that, okay. it, was, <laughs> it was chemical engineering training and filmmaker. Uh-huh. But right now I'm focusing all my efforts on filmmaking. Excellent. And so filmmaking is your full-time job now. Yes, and I also work at the Calgary International Film Festival. Okay, yeah, excellent. Mm-hmm. So supplementing, like yeah. lots of entrepreneurs but, have to do, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, how did you how did you have that path? To, so you're doing engineering, and then you took this hard shift to filmmaking. Those to me aren't necessarily the same types of brains. Well, I'd always wanted to be a filmmaker. When I was younger, I okay. Well, I was really interested in celebrity culture. Like the Oscar, <laughs> the Oscars were a big deal in my house, and I feel like I'm the only like grade seven person who ever got a subscription to Us magazine as a Christmas present. Oh like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's weird. I was close. I I up until like two years ago I had every issue of Entertainment Weekly. So okay. a lot of them are my parents' basement already. So we're we're close. We're close. So through that, I got introduced to films. And then I wanted to be part of films when I was younger because of the Oscars. I knew there was like a screenwriter and I knew that there was a director and I knew that there was an editor. And so I had wanted to go into film studies, but nobody on either side of my family has done any full-time work in the arts. So it was very, it was very, um, amb- elusive, elusive. Yeah. Or, it just was so abstract to everyone. They're like, well, what sort of job could you do? So I applied to the University of Calgary to be an engineer. And I got in, but that summer before my first year, I saw posting for the Summer Media Arts Camp at the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers. So I told my parents that I had to do it. It was a two-week summer camp where you made a short film on 16mm with kids between 12 and 17, or 13 and 17, yeah. So I did that, and then I became a member of CSIF, and I did workshops through there while I went to school. And then uh, I I started to write for their newsletter, and I made short films with them, and I started to make those short films and I got into the $100 Film Festival, which CSIF does. And then it just, my network there grew concurrently to my engineering degree and then career there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did your family feel about, you know, they wanted you to do one thing and your, your, your interests were really pulling you in a different direction? Well, they were very pragmatic. It was your career funds your hobby. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people hear that, right? And uh, for some people, the hobby, I mean, I'm, I think I'm one of those people, their hobbies become their career. And that's what's happening with you. Yeah. And I actually, I give a lot more wisdom to my parents now, because I think for many people, once they, their hobby becomes their career, they realize that actually they want to love their hobby unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. no. <laughs> and once it's your job, sometimes there are things that you just don't like about it. So You're in my brain all the time. Yeah. I have a, I'm addicted to turning all my interests into careers. I 
say to myself, oh, how can I make money from this? Mm -hmm. So the only thing I haven't been able to figure money is how to make money from is dodgeball. I play (laughs) dodgeball every week, and so far I haven't been able to turn that into a career. That's okay. It can be your one hobby. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so you have a a film coming out, Circle of Steel, a feature-length film. Tell me about the movie. Yeah, so it's a feature-length film. It's 85 minutes. The film is about oil and gas layoffs in Alberta. So, Is that coincidence that that's what the film's about and you live in Calgary and that's a hot topic here? Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. I'm sure it's just I'm a product of my environment. Yeah. So I knew it was a unique story and not just the Canadian landscape, but internationally. I knew it was a story that I could tell intimately because I did work for about four years as an engineer in training, and I worked at site for um, multiple months, so I did rotation, I understood that. I saw that lots of people my age were doing, you know, it's it's typical to do some sort of adult coming of age story, like this is what it was like for me in my early 20s, but I didn't get to do like awesome amounts of like partying. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in school yeah. and working, so yes, there were partying, but not in the same sort of ways that you see often represented on screen, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did it. And I also felt like I was upset that maybe I feel like Albertans all have a chip on their shoulder in the rest of Canada. And so I wanted to show that I saw what was going on here. And We're going to be best friends like, <laughs> between the movies and those thoughts alone. Yeah. yeah. Well, my friend, her dad, when he was, he was like two years away, he was really close to a full pension. And, um, but he hated his job. It's Im- she's implied that it was affecting his health. Mm-hmm. And it was always his dream to have his own business. So he yeah. quit well, when he was so close to having this full pension and started a dollar store yeah. in, Northland, in Northland Mall. Oh, okay. And ran it for like 10 years. And like it was really hard. She's a family of six. Wow. And they were all – she was the eldest and she would have been in junior high with me. Oh, okay. Um, and but they, they like made work it, there. And- yeah, and he was so much happier. The kids were good. Like they made it work. He ended up selling the – dollar store and going back to work for a bit but if like with the peace of mind knowing that he had done it no it's so it's so true it's sort of why i wanted to do this was if you can find your path like i used to be an academic advisor at the university of calgary for the fine arts students Mm -hmm. Um, and so many times i'd have students um come in from the engineering department or sciences being like i really want to be in fine arts but my parents will only pay for engineering or something and i was just like I found that so hard. Like, so we would like sneak them in. We'd get them a, a minor in dance or something like that, you know, like just because, but, and I would always tell them, I was like, they were 21, 22 at the time, maybe younger. And I was like, it's hard to know this now, but you'll end up doing what you want to do. Whether you say, screw parents, I don't need your money. I'll figure it out. Or 50 years from now. But there is a balance too. Like I totally understand now why my parents pushed me into engineering and mm-hmm. why I did it. And I'm glad that I did. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... It's, it's weird. There it's, are limited jobs in the arts, too. Yeah. And in, I always found the engineering part in Calgary interesting. The in, in, engineering industry in Calgary is so, like, every seven years, everyone loses their jobs. So, like, I've often thought if I had a kid, I'd be like, that's a very risky industry to me. <laughs> I don't think it's risky. It's only risky in Calgary because it's oil and gas, which is yeah. com- which is commodity-based, so it comes goes up and down. But oh, and so like other types of engineering. Engineering, See, I think, yeah. yeah, it's the most practical degree, I think, because you can be an engineer <clears throat> and go into cosmetics. You can go into food. You can go into uh, agriculture. You oh, can, yeah. You could do absolutely anything. Like I was so influenced by just the culture here to think as an engineer, all you do is oil and gas. Yeah. But then I went to Montreal and I visited this my friend who was a mining engineer. And he introduced me to this girl who seemed really cool. And I was surprised when she told me she was an engineer 
and she was about to do her master's in Paris because she wanted to be a cosmetics engineer. So she wanted to make makeup and she was like so beautiful. And her passion was to create like new lipsticks, like the chemistry behind that. And so then when I remember meeting her, I'm like, wow, the doors could have been like wide. Yeah. Like my perspective was very narrow. Yeah. God, you know lots of interesting people. Before you became the filmmaker though, you were, so you graduated and you were making short films and entering in competitions. When when did you start to say to yourself, I think I want to be a filmmaker full time? Because, and if we're just being honest, a filmmaker in Calgary is rare. A young filmmaker is rare. A female young filmmaker in Calgary is probably the rarest. So there's already all these boundaries in front of, uh, uh, yeah, borders, I guess, in front of you. Well, okay. This still sounds so cheesy, but the turning point was when I met my partner, who I'm actually, so my business partner, but I'm getting married to him, Mm -hmm. Guillaume Carlier. When I met him, he was the first person who legitimized my hobby as you can do this full time, because he was also trying to do that. And his path was very different than mine. He went to Concordia for English language, uh, for an English lit degree. And many of his friends worked in the arts, like some of his best friends are full-time musicians or journalists, like totally different friend group in terms of career paths than what mine were. So when I met him, things became like my dreams, like I want to make a feature film became like, okay, well, let's do it. Let's see what the path is to do that. Or let's get the right people. Let's start making all of our next projects are with the actual like goal of making this feature or making a career in it. So through him, I was exposed to a lot more people and like a totally different network. So yes, even though I was a member of CSIF, I was like really involved with the Artist Run Center uh, network or people who, most of the people who are involved with CSIF have a full-time job and they were in the same boat as me. But with Guillaume, it was the first time I had met full-time videographers, full-time filmmakers. So Guillaume started working with this company called Ramble, who has done a lot of uh, work like commercials and web content. And then he started doing other work for like Joe Media. So he works there as a director. And then just through meeting people, you're like, oh, you work as an editor full time. Maybe you can help me with my project. Yeah. Um, But really, it's just having support from people. And I just have been really lucky to find people who understand my passion. It's collaborative, it sounds. And what what I'm thinking about when you talk about that sort of journey I think sometimes I'm so focused on an entrepreneur being, you know, on their own and just forging ahead. But really, you're, you're. I think you're right. It, it, it is a team of people. Um, maybe you're the captain of that particular day or of that particular project. Mm-hmm. But really, it's a give and take between a group of people, who, and you all want each other to succeed. Yeah, I think the entrepreneur needs to have the singular focus, the vision of what they want to be, and the because without the vision, it doesn't matter. You can still have great friends, but then they'll just be your friends. So I did this mentorship program called Herland through CSIF. And, you know, I've still stayed in touch with those people. Like, we haven't worked together that much professionally, but they've still been, like, it's still been good to have those experiences. And when I'm if I'm having a bad day, I can, like, call somebody and, you know, talk about it yeah. in a way where it's more than just a friend. It's also, like, they're my HR friends, yeah. too. Not, not, not just Herland, but, like, if you think of it as a company, yeah. then you're crew of people your team you could be the manager but you still need to like go for coffee with people right yeah yeah so how do you I think someone who wants to sort of follow your trajectory you know be a filmmaker in Calgary how do you how do you make money 
you're working at Calgary International Film Festival. Um, but how how do you make money as a filmmaker? I don't actually know that. <laughs> For sure. there. I feel like there are two ways you can go about it. So you can go around in the trades route. So SATE has a really good film program and they have a good telev- television program. And a lot of the people who I'm friends with now have are graduates of that program. It's a two-year diploma. Don't know why I never thought of that, but... <laughs> I think, okay, some of the best advice that I ever got was from this director in Calgary called Corey Lee who said, always position yourself how you want to be seen. So if you go to trade school and you become, just say, a really good grip, yes, you can be part of the union and work your way up to, you know, a best boy or something else. But oftentimes you can be uh, pigeonholed into just being a grip. People don't see you as being a director. Mm-hmm. So I got that advice when I was really young um, from Corey. So I always wanted to see myself as a director. So for a long time, I didn't think I would be making money because on the trades route, you can make money through like Heartland or um, Fargo shot Fargo, here yeah. for a while. So when, you couldn't, or, yeah. when you join the union, the union is looking out for you to try and connect you with jobs. The other route is more what I've been doing, which is more freelance work. So you see a lot of videographers going that way. So for example, like Phil and Sebastian, they did work with Ramble, who Guillaume worked with because for them to go union is just like not feasible mm-hmm. or like ATB. ATB works with lots of videographers um, rather than uh, the union route. So do you do commercial stuff as well or do you focus solely on, you know, f- feature films? And My vision has always been to focus on narrative content. So I'm not opposed to doing, I haven't actually ever done a commercial, but I'm not opposed to it if it's the right fit. Mm-hmm. The goal right now to make money is to be a director for hire. And to be a director for hire, you need to find an agent who can represent you and connect you with jobs. So for example, if I want to direct an episode of Kim's Convenience, I absolutely need an agent. They're not going to go to a freelancer and just mm-hmm. be like, like unless unless I win the Oscar for best director, they're not yeah. going to like pick up the phone. But I haven't seen your movie yet, but the trailer for Circle of Steel looks real good. So Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, Right now, I'm just trying to find freelance work. So I'm really excited. I got my first director for hire job through um, for a short documentary on Bridget Moran. Okay. Um, which is for Tell a Story Hive. So, oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. That that was cool. Yeah. No, that's very cool. And I think it's probably, um, we, I say the word momentum or trajectory, but really it's a bunch of sort of zigzaggy paths. So uh, bigger, smaller projects all sort of intertwine with each other. And there's always attrition. So that sounds horrible too, but the longer you stick at it, you are going to get better at what you do. And there are going to be people who don't, who are going to choose to not continue mm-hmm. to be your competitor. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. No, that's, that's a great philosophy. That's with anything. Like with sports, you stick at it and people are going to move on to different things. Um, so is your goal to stay in Calgary then? Like, do you, do you want to be a Calgary-based filmmaker? I would love to be a Calgary-based filmmaker. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible, but you do limit the opportunities to you. Yeah, you do limit the opportunities to you. I'm still really early in my career. There might be other filmmakers who are older than me who mm-hmm. think otherwise, but... But this can be your home base. It, it can be my home base. Like, yeah. I can register my company here, and it can be an Alberta-based company, yeah. but absolutely, it's important to explore other parts of Canada. Like, I think Toronto, if you want to be a working Canadian director, you absolutely need to make FaceTime in Toronto. Like, for example... There is a women in the director's chair. If there is a networking event for women in the director's chair, absolutely, it will not be held in Calgary. Mm -hmm. Or if it is, it's going to be with people who 
no offense to Calgary, I'm already well connected to those people. Yeah, the network's so small. The network's small. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm always inspired. I'm going to plug my family here for a second, but my cousin, Ashley McKenzie, is a filmmaker, and she had a, uh, she's based in Sydney, Nova Scotia, on Cape Breton, and she, you know, she's had a film, she won the short, you I'm, know. I'm familiar with it, Werewolf. Yeah, yeah, Werewolf, such a brilliant movie, so good. Um, again, family bias, but I'm amazed that she can live in Sydney, Nova Scotia and make the waves that she's making. No pun, I get, no pun intended. <laughs> uh, um, but like, I think, I think all the time, like, cause for me, I think what I do, could I be, could I be more successful in Vancouver or Toronto or wherever? But I think if you maybe stick to where you love living, maybe it's the same philosophy as sticking to find a career that you love, you'd be happier. But Ashley too, she can live in Nova Scotia. But I know in her career, she also made FaceTime in Toronto. Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she did a short film through the NSI. Yeah. I can't remember if it's NSI, but it was one of those, like, NSI Canada Film Center things. Her ability to make Werewolf very much depended on her ability to make short films ahead of that as a, her portfolio. Mm-hmm. And she did make connections to, like, the the established powers that be in a different part of Canada. So I think that... Yes, I can stay in Calgary, but even if you consider it like a sabbatical or like a dip- two-year diploma yeah. for yeah. yourself, you do <laughs> the have... The School of Toronto, yeah. Sure, yeah. or I don't think that Vancouver is where I want to go, but okay. um, it's a totally different scene out there. You still need to meet the people who can introduce you to people to help you make the next step. Mm-hmm. So I use that Kim's Convenience example, but... In order to direct convenience, you're going to have to meet the person who can make that phone call for you. Yeah. Or introduction. Yeah, absolutely. And that show stars two Calgarians, which is, that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. That's that's neat. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll wrap up here. But I'm I'm curious about the path that you took and if if you would recommend the same path to filmmakers. So you did sort of a, a, a degree far different than the career that you're in now. But did it build a foundation? Would you would you tell someone to go into filmmaking school or do something more concrete? <laughs> it's a tough question. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Working as an engineer and then working um, for a large or, uh, like a large corporation. So I worked for ConocoPhillips. Gave me a lot of the foundations for what it means to run a business. So the unsexy part of being a freelancer is that you still have to have an accountant or you do your own accounting. You still need to know, understand HR in like the most rudimentary way. You still need to understand like budgeting. And so I got a really amazing foundation of that through engineering. And truthfully, I was able to fund a lot of the projects which really were more formative. Like I don't show those things. They allowed me to learn how to become the filmmaker that now I am today. Yeah. So Say that more confidence. You are a I, filmmaker. I am a filmmaker, yeah. but... <laughs> When I was working as an engineer, yes, I was able to fund my hobby. And then I was able to use that base to leapfrog into something where now I felt confident asking like Telefilm for money or the Calgary Film Center or like doing an, a pitch to Bravo Fact when it was still around and actually being confident that I could get it. Mm-hmm. So I think the advice that I got is position yourself how you want to be seen is the most important thing. Because even when I was working as an engineer, I was still a director or a producer. And people who I still work with today have always known me as a director or producer. Yeah. They don't see me as like a grip, which again, I've seen people make the leap, but I think it's easier if you're like, this is what I want to be. 
you have the conviction and then people will grow and believe in you. I love that. Even when you said waste, um, you know, it's not a waste of time. I think sometimes entrepreneurs might look back on what they did other jobs before they became their own boss as a waste of time. But you're right. It's absolutely not a waste of time. It's all building blocks. The best mentorship I ever got was from a project engineer who was my boss almost year and a half of working at ConocoPhillips. Like I learned so much from him and I think about the way that I learned from him and the team that I worked with there has by far been the greatest influence in how on my work habits. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Okay, Jillian, thank you so much. Okay, so your film is playing at the Calgary International Film Festival mm-hmm. September 25th, Tuesday, September 25th at 7, and Sunday, September 30th at 11 a.m. And you're going to be at both screenings? Yeah, I'll be there. Excellent. And you're bringing some of the cast with you, right? Yes, the cast will be there. Some of the cast. Okay, excellent. Well, um, I'm, I'm honestly... I, before I even met you, just reading your bio, I'm just so excited because I think anytime people do different types of career, careers that are assumed in Calgary um, or even Alberta, it gets me really excited and gets me really hopeful that you can do so many different types of uh, things here. And I can't wait to see. I'm excited. I don't know if your parents are. I'm excited to see your name on the big screen. I think that's going to be such a cool feeling. Thank you very much. I'm excited too. Excellent. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of I Quit. Thank you so much to Jillian for being our guest. If you'd like to see her film Circle of Steel, it's playing at the Calgary International Film Festival on Tuesday, September 25th and Sunday, September 30th. And a giant thank you to the Calgary International Film Festival for being our first sponsor. I'm so excited about that. If you have any questions or comments uh, for me, my handle on Twitter is at Mike's Bloggity, or you can visit our website at iquitpodcast.ca. Until next time. Mm-hmm.